hppodcraft.com. We are back at the HP Lovecraft Literary Podcast. I'm Chad Pfeiffer. And I'm Chris Lackey. And we're at www.hppodcraft.com. I forgot what you... <laughs> No, no, no. We're at http colon slash slash www.hppodcraft.com. Are you done? <laughs> <laughs> I'm done with that, although we are not done with the story we're covering today. Heck no! The Dream Quest of Unknown Kadath. I'm glad we're back because Carter has been snatched up by night gods. That's right. He scaled the mountain of Negronic so he could behold the face of the gods. He studied that face. He says, I know who that belongs to. I can see those fa- the faces that look like that in the ports of Selefe. So I got to get back there. And if I can find those people that look like this face, then I'll know I'm close to the gods. And if I know I'm close to the gods, then I can find the gods and I can ask him where that beautiful city is that I was dreaming about that I can no longer see. That's what's, that's what's going on. Yeah, that's wow. That's really, you just summed it up. Good job. But he's been snatched up by night gaunts. They are cold and they're silent and they tickle him and they fly him up into the mountain, don't they? Yeah, yeah. He goes into a, a, a deep, dark, scary, stinky cavern. Yeah. Ooh. And they fly him down. They fly him down deep and, and dark and he it seems like he's flying for a long time and going deeper and deeper and fly him down into this huge, dark place. Yeah, he, he recognizes the peaks of Thok. The fabled peaks of Thok as they're flying. So there's mountain ranges inside this mountain, which is crazy. Which blows my mind. Yeah. And those dark valleys, they drop them off. He says, valleys where the bulls crawl. Right. Yeah, yeah. It's the va- it's called the Vale of Nath. It's spelled P- P-N-A-T-H, which I believe is pronounced Nath. That's where the, the bulls are, the Vale of Nath. Uh-huh. Have they always been bulls? I thought when I heard about these things before, they were called doles. At this point, they're called bulls. But later on, when Lovecraft writes with... Um, with Price through the gates of the Silver Key, he talks about, yeah. he changes it to Doles. Oh, so it's just a change that he made. Yeah. I don't know why he changed I Doles see. to Bulls, uh, but there you go. Well, the Bulls, as they are in this story, are, as I, much as I could tell, just huge, gigantic, wormy things that live under all these bones, and they kind of surf around, and you just don't want one of them to touch you or see you or anything. Yeah. They kind of hunt with sound, sort of like the movie Tremors. <laughs> I love Tremors, man. Yeah, it's a great movie. That's the greatest movie. Well, um... The night gaunts drop him off on the, all alone on this big piles of bones. Tons and of, tons of bones. Yeah, they're everywhere. And it's the Vale of Nath where the bulls burrow. And the night gaunts take off. There was a great sentence about the night gaunts in an earlier paragraph where it said, All they ever did was clutch and fly and tickle. That was the way of night gaunt. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. That's great. I love that. Well, he recognizes this because of all the bones. He says, Oh, all right. This is the ghouls of the waking world. This is where they cast their bones, their refuse of their meals. Yeah, of the things that they've eaten. Yeah, so he thinks, well, if I can kind of figure out where the shower of bones, you know, sort of where the dropping off point is, I can holler up to the ghouls and hopefully they'll drop me a ladder. Right. So he he knows ghouls. In fact, it says, A man he had known in Boston, a painter of strange pictures with a secret studio in an ancient and unhallowed alley near a graveyard had actually made friends with the ghouls, and it taught him to understand the simpler part of their disgusting meeping and glibbering. This man had vanished at last, and Carter was not sure but that he might find him now, and use for the first time in dreamland that faraway English of his dim waking life. In any case, he felt he could persuade a ghoul to guide him out of Panath. And it would be better to meet a ghoul, which one can see, than a vole, which one cannot see. Wow. <laughs> so yeah. he knows Pikmin. 
Pikmin. Yeah, we yeah. got another recurring character here. Yeah. But Pikmin, since he spent all that time with the ghouls, he actually became a ghoul. And if if you remember in that story, uh, they you know they said that Pikmin was kind of changing. You know, he started he started looking a little bit more monstrous. So this is kind of the yeah. the end result of Pikmin. I I didn't know that Pikmin was in the story. I think oh, I, I somebody mentioned that there were ghouls in the story, but I didn't know actually, or maybe I knew that, but I didn't know he played such a prominent part. I thought maybe it was just a reference or something. Yeah, no, he's 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 a big character in the story. So Carter runs to figure out where the skulls and bones are coming from and he actually gets struck by a skull so he figures out it's coming from up there yeah he goes to this cliff and he starts meeping and and, and (laughs) doing ghoul talk (laughs) yeah once a ghoul talk are you ready for some ghoul talk call 900 (laughs) i i uh um, this is yet another part where carter knows a foreign language and again has some yeah, meep, 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 <laughs> and he screams up there. <laughs> and uh, there's a really tense moment as he waits for a ladder because I think some ghouls respond to it. Yeah, well, a, a ladder. Yeah, so you hear some meeping, but also by him making that noise, it's attracting attention of the bull. Yeah, so it's kind of scary because he's yeah. like waiting for them to lower this rope ladder so he uh-huh. can get out of there, but he hears the bulls moving around. Uh, and it, he actually, when the ladder finally drops, he jumps on, he starts climbing. It takes him hours, hours to get up to climb up this ladder, and. As he's going, the bowl is getting closer and closer and closer, and finally he gets up to the ghouls. And of course, mm-hmm. when he sees them, he almost faints because ghouls are not—they're not pretty to look at. No, no. If you remember the descriptions from Pikmin's model, they're sort of moss and, and fungi covered, and they look sort of like dogs. And they, yeah, you know, they have dog they have faces and they're rubbery faces, and, and hooven, hooven feet, and they're yeah, they're just altogether nasty. But you know, he gets his composure together. Obviously, this bull's going to get him if he doesn't go up fast enough. The ghouls pull him up, and they're on this sort of plane of just it's sort of like a graveyard world which is sort of uh, sort of a parallel from the earth graveyards and then sort of enter into the dreamland graveyards and yeah. and Carter even at this point notices that he's really close to being awake he's closer to the waking world now well he tells him hey i'm i'm friends with pikmin can you guys guide me to him and one of the ghouls says yeah i, I can help you out but you know we have to go through all of these different passages and crawl and it's like a trip that takes many hours. When I was reading that, I just imagined, how lame is that? He's got to be crawling through these little tunnels with a ghoul and just staring at a ghoul's ass for hours. <laughs> what a terrible, terrible trip. And they uh, probably don't smell very good either. Eventually, they uh, they emerge on this other plane, and he sees his buddy. There, on a tombstone of 1768, stolen from the Granary Burying Ground in Boston, sat the ghoul, which was once the artist... Richard Upton Pickman. It was naked, rubbery, and had acquired so much of the ghoulish physiognomy that its human origin was already obscure, but it still remembered a little English, and was able to converse with Carter in grunts and monosyllables, helped out now and then by the glibbering of ghouls. So yeah, yeah. he talks he talks to him, and uh, you know, he see he says, uh, you're, you're Pikmin, you're my buddy, you remember me, everything's great, it's cool, I need some help. Yeah. <laughs> he goes, I need to get back to the Enchanted Woods from here. Because I need to get to Selafe, and I got totally thrown off course. I went up to this mountain, I saw this face, I know that I need to get to Selafe now. But, you know, the Nikons grabbed me and dumped me down there, and I'm all turned around now, so I need to get back to the Enchanted Woods. Yeah, and then uh, Pikmin says, well, you know, you should just kind of go back up the stairs and start over again. You know, go, you know, yeah. go to the waking world, you can go through here, through this churchyard. And it'll take you to the waking world, and then you should start and start your quest all over again. But Carter doesn't want to do that because he's afraid that if he wakes up, he's going to forget everything that he's already learned. Yeah. So he wants to stay in the in the dream know, world. In the dream world. 
So Pikmin says, well, hmm, the best way to do that is you got to go through the kingdom of the Gugs. <laughs> the Gugs, hairy and gigantic, once reared stone circles in that wood and made strange sacrifices to the other gods. And the crawling chaos, Nyarlathotep, until one night an abomination of theirs reached the ears of Earth's gods and they were banished to caverns below. Only a great trapdoor of stone with an iron ring connects the abyss of the earth ghouls with the enchanted wood. And this the Gugs are afraid to open because of a curse. So that, uh, that passage between the woods and the kingdom of the Gugs, we actually saw earlier. Carter passed it mm-hmm. when he was being trailed by the Zugs way That's at the right. beginning of his journey. I don't know what the Gugs are. It's just something they sort of bring up. Uh, and Car- Carter doesn't really know exactly what the Gugs are either, but they're big and they're hairy and they're trouble. Pikmin says, the best time for you to do this, if you want to go, is go through when the Gugs are all asleep. Around nighttime, they all get sleepy. And I'll give you three ghouls to help you out in this little quest. And uh, and also, we take a tombstone with you and you can use it as a lever to pop open the, the stone door. And probably the best thing for you to do, because Gugs are actually sort of afraid of ghouls. The best thing for you to do would be disguise yourself as a ghoul. Yeah, so so Carter says, okay, so he gets naked and he rolls around in the filth and the fungi. He takes all of his clothes and he puts them in a little, little bundle that he takes with him right. so that his clothes don't get all yucky and ghoulish and stuff. So it seems like a good plan. Dress up as a ghoul. Ghouls will go through while the gugs are asleep and they can get to that door and he can get back out to the enchanted wood. But Pikmin says there's another thing you got to worry about. Ghasts. There's ghasts. They're cannibals, these ghasts. They're yeah. some kind of creature. They're, they, uh, they are hunted by the gugs. But sometimes they hang out by this large cave near the cemetery and uh, a whole bunch of them will attack a gug and take them out. They're vindictive, these guys. Yeah. They don't like being uh, hunted. And they, and they can also, these uh, ghasts will also attack ghouls. So, Yeah, they have no such fear of the ghouls. So the, the gugs have a sentry at this place by the vaults of Zin, which is where the ghasts come out of. Mm-hmm. And uh, that sentry sometimes gets attacked by a party of ghasts. It's just lots of things. To, there's ghouls and there's gugs and there's ghasts. <laughs> I guess which if this... Damn story had chapter breaks. That would have been the title of this chapter. It's pretty confusing. I mean, I know a lot what these things are from my time playing the role-playing game. Like, I'm really familiar, and I've seen drawings of all these different creatures and stuff. I don't know if anybody who didn't come to the table with that knowledge already would really be able to get a lot out of this. Yeah, it's pretty confusing. But, it, you know, as far as I can say, the the gugs are these big, gigantic things. Mm-hmm. The ghasts are their prey, who are smaller cannibal people and then obviously our ghouls are our dog-faced folks and they've kind of taken on a role of, of good guys or helpers yeah in the story ghouls actually eat in the uh the giant gug city quite a bit they'll sneak in there and steal bodies out of the gug cemeteries because one big gug is like food for a year for a community of ghouls and carter does he remembers seeing some gigantic bones in the, in the big pile so they head off and they go to the city of the Gugs. Everything is gigantic there. Cyclopean Towers, again. And they get by the Vault of Zin, and they see some eyes peering out, uh-huh. which are probably ghasts, and they say, ah, oh, it looks like the Gugs already lost a century. After a moment, something about the size of a small horse hopped out into the gray twilight, and Carter turns sick at the aspect of that scabrous and unwholesome beast, whose face is so curiously human, despite the absence of a nose a forehead, and other important particulars. So that's what the ghasts look like. Ugh. And, and when that ghast merges, a couple others come out of that vault, 
and they mm -hmm. have no battle scars, meaning that they didn't actually attack a Gug sentry back there. Yeah. So that's no good because they're not going to be tired and easy to take out. They're fresh. But then, luckily, yeah, out of the cave behind them, a Gug shows up. It was a paw, fully two feet and a half across and equipped with formidable talons. After it came another paw. And after that, a great black-furred arm to which both of the paws were attached by short forearms. Then two pink eyes shone. And the head of the awakened Gug sentry, large as a barrel, wobbled into view. The eyes jetted two inches from each side, shaded by bony protuberances, overgrown with coarse hairs. But the head was chiefly terrible because of the mouth. That mouth had great yellow fangs and ran from the top to the bottom of the head, opening vertically instead of horizontally. Uh. So that gug had been asleep and the gas had just slipped, slipped by it, but yeah. now it's awake and uh, the ghasts are like... The ghasts attack. Let's get it. So they fall on it and there's a fight. And while that fight goes on, the ghouls and you know say to Carter, "We need to, we need to get moving." <laughs> yeah, this is, this would be a good time to scram. There's one thing that I found interesting there, where the gugs they actually are silent. Everything they do is completely silent. They speak with facial expression. Yeah, so bizarre. They have that they have that strange mouth that goes that runs the length of their face, which is kind of horrific. Yeah, it opens side to side. Which see, I I, I can't even picture what a skull would look like that would have a mouth that would open side to side. As opposed to up and down. But it is scary that they're so quiet, these gigantic things. Anyway, as the, the ghouls and uh, Carter take off, the fight kind of falls down into the cavern. So they're able to get away from it. They sneak through the city while the gugs sleep, and they get to, uh, what is it, a tower? Yeah, it's uh, the central tower, and it has, it has a sign on it. They call it, it said the sign of Koth, which is the ghouls say, hey, this is the way up to, to this tower to get to that passageway to get into the Enchanted Woods. So they have to climb these. Now, the steps, of course, are cyclo. I mean, these gugs are so huge that the stairs are enormous. So it's a it's a, a hard climb for these guys. And it gets darker and darker. Yeah, and Carter gets so weak from it that the ghouls have to sort of pick him up and carry him almost. They have to help him up these steps. What a wimp. <laughs> uh, well, a ghast wanders down the stairs at one point. And so they get really quiet. Uh, and everybody has to fold to the side. That's a really great paragraph. Uh, or that, not just paragraph, that whole scene is really cool because the ghouls all are really quiet. And then the gas sort of walks around and, you know, they're just waiting underneath because it's up above them on the stairs above them. And then they're just waiting and waiting. They can hear it up there, but they don't know if it sees them. And then just one of the ghouls just leaps up with that tombstone and just bashes it. Yeah. <laughs> I love that the ghouls use tombstones. That's like their utility weapon, you know. <laughs> they, they're using it to prop open doors. They use it to fight with. They're, they sit on it, you know. They probably yeah. eat their meals on it. Yeah. So, yeah, he's dead. And as they get to the top, uh, they find this this kind of uh, passageway, this sort of this door. And they, you know, have to use the tombstone and they start to pry it open. But then they hear something coming up the stairs. Yeah. Well, what they hear is the body of the gas falling down the stairs. Yeah. Because... They couldn't, they wouldn't, the worst part is if a gug came up those stairs, they wouldn't, they wouldn't hear, hear him. No. Yeah. But luckily that gas body starts falling and they're like, okay, let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go, let's <laughs> go. So everybody's pushing on that door trying to get it open so they can ram the tombstone in there and keep it propped so they can sneak out. And they do. They get out and find, they close it down, they pull it out, and the, the gugs, under some kind of curse, can't go through that, that doorway. But they yeah. escape just as the gug is ascending to get them. Yeah. They get through that door and they drop it. So there they are in the Enchanted Woods again. It's like we've come all the way back around to here. Yeah. And I have to say that that whole sequence uh, was 
probably one of the best parts of the book for me or for, for of, this, of the story. Yeah. It was just the most well written. It seemed really dramatic and I felt an actual sense of danger. Yeah. 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 There's it's, it was pretty tense and I thought it was a really good moment. It reminded me a little bit of the minds of Moria or something like that from Lord of the oh, Rings. Oh, right. Yeah. Or the part with the, when the hobbits were hiding and the ring wraith, you know, walked, walked right by them, you know, the in, yeah. in fellowship, you know, like it's, it had sort of that kind of feel to it. So the ghouls are kind of screwed now because they're, their idea was that they were going to get Carter out through that passage, go back down through the city and just, you know, go, back, go head back to where they were with Pikmin. But now they're trapped up here in the Enchanted Woods. Yeah, they can't go back because the Gug's down there and they don't they can't deal with him. So the ghouls, they decide that the way that they're going to get back home is to return through Sarkamon. Nobody really knows how to get there. It has to do with the Plateau of Lang. I think it's under Lang. Or... Yeah, it's near it's near Lang. And, you know... Carter can't go, well, maybe if you go to Dilathlene, I know there's that this weird slant-eyed guy who seemed to know about a lot of stuff. You could probably find yeah. him, and he'll, and he'll get you there. So these ghouls, I mean, they're really screwed. They, they have to take a huge journey, not unlike his, where they have to find a missing city and all this business to get home. Yeah. And, and that's it. The worst it. part is that when they leave, Carter's kind of relieved to be rid of them. <laughs> yeah, because they're really gross and, uh, and disturbing yeah. to him. So he's, he's like, thank God those guys are gone. I know, but they totally have like ruined their lives to help him out. Really thankless. And then at this moment too, he Carter kind of thinks back and he he says, "I wonder whatever happened to my uh, my zebra that I tied up on that mountain." <laughs> right. Because, you know, like he he just tied up his zebra there. The thing's probably starving to death on the mountain right now. Yeah. You know. Well, he says hopefully maybe some lava dudes found it up there, or maybe a night gaunt drained its blood and so it's dead, not starving to death. I don't know. <laughs> right. But. Uh, you know, that wasn't his fault. He got kidnapped by the by the night concert. I know. Down, I know. You know he, he couldn't do much about that. He's just leaving a trail of broken ghoul dreams and zebra bodies <laughs> behind him as he goes on his quest. <laughs> Speaking of other creatures that have been uh, hurt by Carter's intentions, he, of course, comes across a gang of Zoogs here now that he's back in the Enchanted Forest. And the Zoogs are pretty mad about what happened. At Ulthar. At Ulthar, because they, yeah. you know, those Zoogs that followed him, they got gobbled up by some cats. So the so the Zoogs are planning on retaliation. So they they say we know where the cats are going to be, and we're going to jump them, and we're going to kill them. They're get, like calling war on cats. Yeah, they're planning it. They've got a council together. They're they're trying to figure out what's the best way to do this. We're going to take out those cats. And it said in that paragraph, the cats had justly punished the Zoogs for unsuitable intentions. What were their unsuitable intentions? Because as far as I know. They just like to watch stuff. Like they were just following Carter to see what happened, so they could come home and share his. No, story. there was there was like the one line uh, where he says that one of the Zoogs was looking at the little black kitten. And, like, oh, because they were going to eat the cat. That's yeah. their unsuitable intention. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that seems a little extreme to me, but <laughs> these are some warlike folks here in the Dreamland. Yeah. Well, uh, Carter's not going to let this happen because he clearly loves the cats. Yeah. So he gets on the edge of the wood and he sends out a warning cry. <laughs> 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 and other cats pick up the cry, and it goes along, goes all the way up to Ulthar, and uh, they get there really fast. You know, they assemble their phalanx of feline soldiers. Feline phalanx. And they march, come back, and they run into Carter, all of these shapely, wholesome cats. And uh, He was glad to see his venerable friend, one-time rescuer at the head of Ulthar's detachment. A collar of rank around his sleek neck, and whiskers bristling at a martial angle, Better still, as a sub-lieutenant in that army was a brisk young fellow who proved to be none other than the very little kitten at the inn, to whom Carter had given a saucer of rich cream on that long-vanished morning in Ulthar. He was a strapping and promising cat now, and purred as he shook hands with his friend. 
His grandfather said he was doing very well in the army, and that he might well expect a captaincy after one more campaign. So cats not only uh, talk, they have an organized military structure with uh, rankings and awards. Yeah, they wear their ranks on their collars. Yeah, it's it's flipping ridiculous. Because you know cats are going to want to have collars on. This is the lamest part. Why not have little uniforms with you know little little patches on their shoulders and stuff? It's ridiculous. I know that you think this is lame, man, but I was delighted that this was still going on. I thought <laughs> I thought that the cat battle on the moon was the last time I was going to see. I mean, it's so ridiculous. I could read this all day if they'd have just focused on cat armies doing cat stuff. Because my favorite thing is I don't want to jump ahead too much, but they have a huge battle with the Zoogs here. Mm-hmm. After they're done and the cats are kind of like at ease. They go around and, like, chase leaves and do kinds of cat things, you know? Ridiculous. It's ridiculous. <laughs> so, like, they organize, they fight, they destroy, they make treaties, and then when they've got some time to kill, they chase leaves. <laughs> <laughs> oh, anyway, but I am jumping ahead. So Carter gets together with the army of cats, and they kind of yeah. plan the preemptive strike. They don't get into it too much, but all we know is a great ocean of cats floods the enchanted wood. They get to the tree they beat the crap out of the zoogs these poor zoogs you know they they were they were just in pre-production for this war they didn't even know it was going to happen their flutterings arose to a panic pitch <laughs> yeah the cats don't uh slaughter them though they get them uh, they capture them and sort of you know make them surrender and then they they go into negotiations with yeah. carter being the interpreter because he speaks yeah, carter Zoog. brokers a settlement he's like meow 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 and basically they negotiate the settlement where they have to zooks have to provide some free food for the cats yeah seems like tribute a pheasant and this kind of thing and then they also have to give up some hostages i think yeah they take um tw- i think it's 12 of the young zooks of noble families are are to be kept at the temple of the cats in Ulthar ridiculous it's all just totally ridiculous all i know is that right now carter's killed two zebras he's lost fools <laughs> off into the dreamland somewhere he's been responsible for two wars now <laughs> you know the war on the moon with the cats and the zoogs and this. i mean he's really causing a lot of damage because he wants to see this pretty city so uh, a dignified maltese guides carter to uh, the city of thron where he gets a ga- right. where he gets a galleon ride well it's great because uh, one of my favorite parts there is he he gets to the golden spires of Thrawn, and uh, he stopped. He stopped by this red-robed sentry, and says, "You have to tell three dreams beyond belief before we'll let you into the city." <laughs> to which Carter says, "I dreamed I had a job. I dreamed I had a girlfriend. I dreamed I don't live in my mother's basement." And the sentry <laughs> says, "Go right in." <laughs> oh, oh, that was no. mean. But you know, Carter probably doesn't have much going on in his life if he's spending all this time down here. But you're right, yeah, he stays in a tavern in Thrawn, and then he grabs a green galleon for Cellophane the next morning, right. so we're we're on to Cellophane. Although, I, you know, he stays in so many taverns in here, I was thinking, like, you know, that's almost in every adventure story where they go to the tavern and they meet some folks and they stay there. Why don't we have... Wait, who's going to open... Somebody should open a chain of taverns. <laughs> what? <laughs> somebody should open, like, a chain, like a, you know, like a hotel chain, but it's an oldie-timey tavern and you can go there and drink and meet adventurers and then take a nap at night. I think that would be really cool. <laughs> I mean, like, I've never had an adventure start at the Days in, you know. Yeah, I need no. like I wish that there was just something. Yeah, that would be nice. Um, to, that they would have something like that. I mean, well, it's very common in the UK. Yeah, they have right, lots right. of. I mean, they have lots of adventurers and and things and and all the taverns yeah. and local pubs. I know. And things, yeah. Well, you guys have history there. We don't have history in the United exactly. States. You know, it's just no. holiday inns. That's all there is. Yeah. Well, when anyway, he's on when he's on this boat, when Carter's on mm-hmm. the boat, he's talking to the sailors, uh, the mariners, and uh, he goes, "Oh, oh, yeah, you know, I." 
on on uh, Granite, I saw this face, and it looked like this. And then the Mariners go, oh, yeah, yeah, you know, that sounds like the people of Inganic. And he goes, oh, Inganic? And like, yeah, Inganic. It's this place that's close to Lang. And he's like, ah, ah. Yeah, he says those people are from Inganak, uh, close to Lang. And, uh, you know, Lang is on the other side of some mountains yeah, there. It's, it's far. I think. It's far. It may be fiction, though. All they know is that the people of Inganak, it's really cold there. Cats don't like to go there. No. And there's these big mountains, and they think on the other side of those mountains, that's where Lang might be. Around here, though, they said uh, the, the galleon that he's on, they sailed through the river past these jungles of Kled. Mm-hmm. where there are these big palaces that are protected by spells of the Elder Ones. And the, these palaces have been around forever, but they haven't decayed or anything because they're protected by these spells. Mm-hmm. But who are the Elder Ones? How does that fit in? Yeah, that, I don't really know. It's not really addressed who the Elder Ones are, because there's the Great Ones, which are Earth's gods. Then there are the other gods, which are like... Which is Azathoth. Like and, and, as yeah. But the Elder, the elder Ones... I thought maybe it was um, a hint at kind of a Call of Cthulhu sort of mythology because these palaces, they're kept unharmed and undecayed because they one day may need them again. So perhaps these are palaces that belong to... Like Cthulhu. The things, yeah, Cthulhu or yeah. things that are dead and dreaming. Right. And uh, that's what the deal is there, I think. Yeah, that could that, that sounds, definitely sounds like that's a possibility, and that would make sense. So the Elder Ones are like Cthulhu and the thing, the things that are on Earth but are not active necessarily. It's not it's not obvious that what that is, but I mean, you know, that's a that's a good guess. It sounds interesting. There's a couple paragraphs here too where they take they port in a place called Lanith, but the people are just like men, and Carter's like, "Beh, who cares?" <laughs> <laughs> I've seen this on Earth, and you know what? I don't really care either. So let's just get to Celefay. Yeah. So he gets into Cel- uh, Celefeus and uh, the he's looking for a cat. And he's got time in Celefay too because he's got to wait two weeks for the folks from Inganok show up with their boat so he can yeah. go off to their land uh where he thinks there's that desert some of the sailors say oh one he does meet one sailor though who says oh i actually have been to inganak i worked in the onyx mines there and there is a desert to the north which may lead to lang and beyond which might be it were that desert itself might hold Kadath. right so he, he's getting closer he's in cellophane talks to some sailors he's waiting for the boat from inganak he uh, I, I think he talks to a priest at one point who gives him the same old look don't go on this yeah. voyage because it's really dangerous uh, he sees the chief of the cats. They do the secret paw shake. Uh, <laughs> and the the chief is, affirms, you know, cats don't go to Inganak because it's too cold. And actually, there was something here I really liked. Um, he says, you know, it's it's got bad shadows. Yeah. And he says, in that far land, there broods a hint of outer space, which cats do not like. <laughs> yeah. It's got that hint of outer space. Just a hint. A smidgen. That sounds like a selling point to me, you know. Here at Inganak, we got great schools. We got beautiful public spaces. A hint of outer space. <laughs> Anymore. No, nowhere else. After that, he, you know, he asks the cat. He goes, "Hey, I'm looking for my buddy, King Kiranis, and I'm gonna go to the temple and see him." And the cat goes, "Oh, no, he's not at the temple. He's not. Right. You know, he doesn't live in a castle anymore." Because yeah, because Kiranis is a he like splits his time between being king of two kingdoms, Celepheus and the uh, and Saranian, which floats around in the sky. Right. But he's retired all that. Yeah, he's not. He's not into that anymore. He now lives in a place where. He sort of recreated where he's from, uh, the Trevor Towers, which was in England. His like little and is also my porn name, if you remember. Oh, it is. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and I try to forget it, but I, I actually, <laughs> I actually remember it. There's this Cornish fishing village that sort of that King Kiranes has recreated in the Dreamlands, and that's where he stays now. For though Kiranes was a monarch in the land of dream. 
with all imagined pomps and marvels, splendors and beauties, ecstasies and delights, novelties and excitements at his command. He would gladly have resigned forever the whole of his power and luxury and freedom for one blessed day as a simple boy in that pure and quiet England, that ancient, beloved England, which had molded his being and of which he must always be immutably a part. So he's recreated this, and this is the midpoint of the entire story when he meets Kiranes, and it's also basically a foreshadowing for what the conclusion of the story is going to be. It's almost like... Kiranis has already gone through the journey that Carter's on. Mm -hmm. He decided that he'd rather be around his old hometown than in these magnificent dream palaces. Well, right. I mean, if you remember in the in in the Salafea story, Kiranis ended up, you know, he was always questing for this magical land. And, yeah. you know, he wanted to be the king of Uthnargai and, and Salafeus. And he gave up his life. He died at the end of it so that he can go to this place. You know, he made like the ultimate sacrifice. And now we're yeah. finding out that that was the wrong choice that now he regrets doing that that he or this isn't what he wanted he's become bored with it yeah he tells that to carter carter shows up at his house because he's you know just staying at a house now uh, at trevor towers and he's good to see him and and he tells kiranis about you know what he's trying to do and about kadath and he goes hey you're you're the one guy that came back from space do you know where kadath is yeah that's that's we find out that that one person who was sane who returned from those unknowable space reaches Sane was Kiranis. Yeah, and Kiranis is like, no, I don't know where it is, and I don't know where your Sunset City that you're talking about. But I'm, I gotta warn you, you know, you should probably not do this. But now that he was come into that city and that land, and was the king thereof, he found the freedom and the vividness all too soon worn out and monotonous for want of linkage with anything firm in his feelings and memories. He was a king of Uthnargai but found no meaning therein, and drooped always for the old familiar things of England that had shaped his youth. All his kingdom would he give for the sound of Cornish church bells over the downs, and all the thousand minarets of Selefes for the steep homely roofs of the village near his home. So he told his guest that the unknown sunset city might not hold quite the content he sought, and that perhaps it had better remain a glorious and half-remembered dream. Which is, you know, some serious foreshadowing and also kind of ties into a little bit of the Silver Key. You know, when we were talking about mm -hmm. how he always remembered that time when he was a boy and how that was special to him and that unlocked this, this passageway to go. Kirani says to him, you're going to want Kingsport. You're going to want Arkham. Yeah. You're going to search for the city, but those are the things that you're going to want. And uh, Carter says, well, that may be true, but uh, I'm not giving up. And so he goes, okay, well, good luck, man. And then, and that's where, it, that's where it ends. Yeah, and I think that's a good place for us to stop for now. So exciting stuff. We're at the midpoint of the story. Yep. Carter's got another big voyage ahead of him. I think there'll be some night gaunts uh, and maybe some other flying beings involved. It'll, there might maybe be. Maybe some more wars. Maybe some more unintentional animal deaths. <laughs> Who knows? We can only hope. But I want to thank Lance again for reading for us. He did a fabulous job. Lance Holt. Thank you so much. Yeah, he's great. With that, I'm Chris Lackey. I'm Chad Pfeiffer. And this has been the HP Lovecraft Literary Podcast. Here at hppodcraft.com.
Podcast.com.